Hello and welcome to The Bitten Word. I'm Christine. And I'm Ashley. And guess what? It's season two. Yay! I'm so glad it's season two. That break was too long. Okay, I know I need to expand my vocabulary, but I'm so excited because I'm like, I've been like dying for the past six weeks. Like it feels like it's been a really long time since we were. It does. It it feels like a really long time. And we've even done bonus episodes in between, like three of them. I'm still like, ah, this took too long. Yeah, no, it was, that was a long waiting period. Um, I put on Twitter today the gif of um, Peach saying, today is the day. (laughs) (laughs) I was really excited to record. Um, Okay, you know what? I actually looked up. I did a thesaurus search for excited today. I was going to pick another word to use, (laughs) but like like 90% of the words they were using were like really weird like it was like i'm trying to think it was like agitated you know and things like that that these feel more approximate (laughs) yeah so um so i guess as a little celebration into season two uh we want to let you in on our top episodes from season one in case maybe you're new and you want to see like what what to go for first um So our top three episodes from season one, uh, number one was All Creatures Great and Small plus Yorkshire Pudding. And then in a close second was uh, The Good Place plus Peeps and Chili. And then number three is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with the Whipple Scrumptious Fudge Mellow Delight, which was delicious and is extremely simple to make. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you want to get in on our most popular episodes of season one, those are them. Um, And yeah. So... Before we get started, I want to refresh you on our socials. Uh, You can find our link tree in the episode description. That will take you to all of our socials. But if you want to see pictures of the food we make, head on over to our Instagram at the Bitten Word Podcast for a more curated experience by Ashley. Or head over to our Twitter (laughs) at the Bitten Pod for more like stream of consciousness and absurdity from me. Um, (laughs) We also want to let you know that if you are so inclined, you can donate to our Buy Me a Coffee. Uh, Donations are not expensive expected but are greatly appreciated and they help us to get better recording equipment get hard to find ingredients and do research for the show also if you have any suggestions for things you'd like to see us do let us know on our social yes please please. uh (laughs) or you can email us at the bitten word podcast at gmail.com um on our twitter we have a pinned tweet uh you can comment on that if you want or honestly like I always see all the notifications, you know, so you can comment, you know, wherever you see us, if you think about it, throw Mm -hmm. it on whatever post you see, and we'll be happy to add it to our list. Okay, enough plugging on to the show. So today we're actually doing our first episode that was suggested by a listener. Yay! Um, See, we actually do them, so suggest. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Um, and we'll give you a shout out like I'm about to do. Um, This food was suggested by Little Red Sis on Twitter. Um, She actually requested food from any Miyazaki movie, but she specifically requested the ramen from Ponyo. Um, and as such, <laughs> since then, uh, we've been, I've been researching pretty thoroughly a lot of Miyazaki movies and we have a lot of food <laughs> from Miyazaki movies yeah. on this list. There's so much. So thank you for the suggestion. Um, it bore a lot of fruit. <laughs> um, so I grew up seeing a lot of Miyazaki movies, but I never saw Ponyo. It, it came out in 2009 in the U.S., which is when I was in high school. Um, so I watched it for the first time 
in researching this? Oh, really? See, we watched it and I was like, this seems vaguely familiar. And apparently Brett says that we watched it before, like with the kids. And I was like, I don't remember that at all. And the kids didn't remember it at all, but he did, which is so backwards. Usually he's like, when did we watch this? (laughs) You know, but yeah, I guess we did. So if you don't know Miyazaki, Hayao Miyazaki is a Japanese screenwriter slash director Um, of quite a few animated movies. He's also an animator, producer, author, and manga artist, and co-founder of Studio Studio Ghibli. But it's the movie studio that produced Ponyo and many other Miyazaki's films. So some of Miyazaki's most notable films include My Neighbor Totoro, Howl's Moving Castle, Spirited Away, and Princess Mononoke. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley hates Spirited Away. Away. But you've probably heard of one of those movies, even if you've never heard of Ponyo. Um, Spirited Away actually won Oscar for Best Animated Film. Uh, And then Princess Mononoke was the highest grossing film in Japan for a while. So (laughs) so Miyazaki makes a lot of popular and well-known animated movies. Um, Ponyo is a movie about a goldfish, and we use the term goldfish very loosely here. Um, (laughs) That's what they call her, but she looks like a face with a dress there's like, there's only like one person in the whole movie who realizes yeah that like a goldfish like she has a face oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, i know i thought that was funny too because they did they kept calling her goldfish and i was like has no one here ever seen a goldfish <laughs> i wonder if that was not like a totally faithful transition though translation oh maybe not um but yeah, so she's a goldfish. She's named Brunhilda. Um, and she washes up on shore in a glass bottle. <laughs> what? The Brunhilda, he said that. And I was like, what? <laughs> well, okay. we'll, t- we'll talk about it later. Um, but she's found by a boy named Sosuke who rescues her and he names her Ponyo. And getting her out of the bottle, he cuts his finger and she licks it and it heals. And then Ponyo's father, uh, Fujimoto, who is like an ocean wizard. Yeah, basically like he's in a striped suit jacket under the water like i don't know it's a really weird visual he looks like david bowie if he were a circus barker that's exactly what he looks like (laughs) i don't remember i don't remember when i thought that but it was kind of like goblin kingy like yeah like (laughs) with his long hair and yeah yeah and also Um, liam neeson is not the best person to do dubbing because (laughs) it just like did not work for me i was like "Mm, i don't know about this yeah well uh Matt Damon was her dad, and he was in that movie for like five seconds. Mm. That's so it, weird. Yeah, it kind of makes me laugh that like he's such a high build person, or like you know, Sosuke's dad. A-lister. Uh, yeah, it was Sosuke's dad? Oh, interesting. He, was, he had like three lines in that whole yeah. movie, and you barely even saw him. Um, but anyway, uh, Fujimoto tries to get her back by using his wave spirits and she gets mad saying that she wants to be a human and she uses her magic to turn herself into a little girl and escapes back to Sosuke. So in its most basic form, it's like, it's a retelling of the little mermaid. Yeah. Um, some of the best evidence of this is that she wants to be human and she grows arms and legs using her magic. And later it's said that if Sosuke doesn't love her, she'll turn into sea foam, which is what happens to the mermaid in the original in the original, story. yeah. Also, because that's what they do. The parents are like, well, I guess if that's what she wants, we'll let her do that. And that's 
kind of what happens in the Disney version as well. Yeah. Um, so it does diverge a bit, though, uh, from Little Mermaid, particularly in its themes. Because the original story is very much about, like, sacrifice and suffering for the sake of others. Um, it also has a lot of Christian overtones because it talks about, like, the mermaid being able to receive a soul by doing good deeds for mankind. Um, and at the end, the mermaid is meant to kill the prince so she can become a mermaid again after he marries another woman. But she can't bring herself to do it and she dissolves into sea foam. Uh, this version is more like about the little like the nature of little kids uh, and Ponyo is very like determined and adventurous although she does make selfless sacrifices of her power for other people mm -hmm. um, and so while like the Christian overtones aren't really present here Miyazaki movies are fascinating in their use of religious and spiritual imagery so Miyazaki movies consistently display a mixture of like Buddhist and Shinto concepts and they also mix in traditional Japanese folklore. Um, it's a common tactic that he uses as a way to sort of like blur the lines between fantasy and reality um, and mythology, mythology and modernity and differing religious and spiritual leanings but it very effectively creates this world that feels like deeply fantastic and like fundamentally spiritual while still feeling like something that could happen um so austin gilkison from tor.com wrote a fascinating article called the gods and spirits and totoros of miyazaki's Fa fantasy world um and i'm gonna read a, a transcript of it because he or sorry an, an excerpt of it not a transcript because <laughs> um, he i think sums it up really nicely where he says um Ponyo's supernatural world is a mythological melange. Ponyo is based on Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid, but it also echoes the Japanese folktale of Urashima Taro about a young fisherman who rescues a sea turtle and is rewarded with a visit to the undersea palace of the, of the Kami Otohime. Hmm. Ponyo's birth name is Brunhilda, a nod to the Valkyrie daughter of Wotan in the Germanic Nibelung... Uh, Nibelung oh my gosh... <laughs> and her mother is grandmamar a sea goddess with a latinish name but who one japanese sailor calls canon the buddhist goddess of mercy more than anything she seems to be the ocean itself ancient and immeasurably powerful our religious myths and folk tales ponyo suggests are merely approximations for the true nature of the earth and its spirits i feel like the yeah, I feel like this is such a great description of the way Miyazaki mixes mythologies and cultures to tell stories that feel like timeless and universally appealing through their like mm -hmm. ambiguity. I don't know. I feel like I just feel like it's a really cool kind of concept to explore. It wasn't totally something I had considered, but I watched Spirited Away against again recently. And I feel like this feels very true, especially in the context of Spirited Away and like My Neighbor Totoro and other ones that deal with like woodland spirits and uh, Japanese folktales and things like that. Let's talk about food in general in Miyazaki movies. Um, okay, I like food. Okay, well, um, I sent you that clip. Of, yes. I don't think that was just... So I sent you a clip of, of like food, right? Like being animated. And I don't think that was just Miyazaki food. I think that was a good amount of Miyazaki food and then food from other anime. Mm -hmm. Um but it all kind of was in that same style um so like in Miyazaki movies there is so much food it's all over the place to the point where 
the Studio Ghibli Museum in Japan actually has an exhibit all about the food. That sounds fun. That's yeah. my kind of exhibit. I know when I was planning our trip to Japan, I saw the Studio Ghibli Museum on a list and I was like, I don't know if I really need to do that. And then I read this thing where they had the food exhibit and I was like, I don't know. I kind of want to go now. But there seems to be like a fairly formulaic way that the food is presented in the movies. Um, also, when I say formulaic, usually that is like has a bad connotation but in this case the formula is perfect never change it um <laughs> so so food is typically shown in miyazaki movies as a tool for comfort or as a way to show love um in tough Which makes times, perfect sense in ponyo yeah totally um in tough times or when things are hard characters are offered food so in kiki's delivery service when kiki is sick osuno makes her oatmeal with honey and in spirited away when chihiro is afraid she'll never see her parents again haku offers her a plump and delicious looking onijiri so in these scenes where like food is used as a symbol of comfort and love the food is not always but it's sometimes shown being made and when it is it's like a very slow and deliberate process the animators purposely take the time to show you the care that goes into cooking that sounds nice yeah they they show characters like chopping bok choy and cracking eggs and whisking cream and frying meat I love this, though. I, I love that they take the time to do this because as someone who appreciates food, it's yeah. extremely appetizing <laughs> to watch. Um, That's true. But I like, I also feel it, you know, like for some people, cooking is relaxing. It's a way to chill out. It's zen. Cooking isn't like that for me. Like cooking in and of itself isn't fun for me. I, I like to cook because I like to eat. Um, <laughs> but I also cook to show love. And so like when I bring a meal to someone who's just had a baby or who's had a death in the family or something, I enjoy bringing them like a home cooked meal. Yeah. And um, that's always my go-to everything. Yeah. You're sad? Food. You're happy? Food. We're celebrating food. Yeah. Like everything. Well, yeah. And honestly, like you, you might disagree with me here. I know Will would, but like home cooked meals aren't necessarily always better than something you would get at a restaurant or whatever they can be um, it depends on the thing yeah they aren't as a rule but but they definitely can be um but something about giving and receiving food from other people has a deep like connection to it it feels mm -hmm. intimate and lovely and it feels at its core like service um yeah. i think giving food to others like preparing holiday meals for families making treats for your friends making your kids lunches just exudes at this very deep level like service and love and friendship and this seems to be something that transcends cultures too all yeah, over the world for sure. yeah the, all over the world people commune over food not just in eating it but in making it yeah and it's a welcoming thing too i feel like in a lot of other cultures like in america we don't just be like for whatever reason we don't say hey come in and i'll make you some tea or whatever you know but i feel like in other cultures and not even necessarily other very far away from us cultures but even just like european cultures and things that's what you do you invite people inside and you say can i get you a drink yeah let me make you some tea let me get you some 
biscuits because we don't offer cookies in America when people just stop by because nobody just stops by. Um, we, and another, like, I know that I was, um, I went to a woman's house and she was Haitian, I believe. And I was there just to talk to her, but she was like, she gave me basically an entire meal at like two o'clock in the afternoon. You know, she was like, oh, you like plantains here? I'm frying plantains right now. Have it here. Try some of this meat here. You know, and like, I know that some cultures are like that where it's just a very welcoming gesture. It's a, you are, I'm happy that you're here, you know, come in and sit down at my table, have some of this food. And I, I think that's kind of nice. I, I kind of wish that we did stuff like that. And maybe I, maybe I should just start that trend. Yeah. <laughs> Every time somebody knocks on the door, I'm like, come in, I'll make you some tea. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I don't know. I really love that. I, I haven't experienced that a lot, but anytime I have had a friend or somebody who, you know, did that, I always loved it. There was this old yeah. Italian lady who lived next door to mom in California. Um, and she, oh, this was, I don't know. This is a long time ago. Um, but she, used like I would go over there for some reason and, and like hang out with her and she was probably in her 70s or 80s um I think she's actually no longer alive but she used to feed me like every time I went over there she would just like you know do you want some food and I'd be like no I'm okay and she's like sit down I'm making you food to mom <laughs> yeah um and then my friend Jay Lim, at like not every time, but a lot of times when I go to her house, she'll feed. Me. In fact, you went to her house with me that one time. Yeah, and she and she was like, "I'm making Korean sweet potatoes. Eat it." And it was really good. I think half of a potato. Yeah, yeah. I think about it all the time, actually, because she didn't even put anything on it. She it was just a straight up potato. But it was so good. But yeah she I remember one time she like brought out her low table and she and I and her husband all sat around and we ate bibimbap and she made me the best thing ever yeah I want to do that and she made me like you know these little kind of like potato pancakes and she brings me food all the time I recently read pachinko and they talked about a soup called soliangtang and I asked her about it and I was just like like do you ever make this and she was like yes and then she's like I'm gonna bring you some and then she like brought me some and and it was really good and so I just and every and I'm down because I am obsessed with Korean food and everything she's ever made me has been amazing but yeah. like I don't know. I just like that. I like, um, you know, when people want to feed you and I like feeding other mm -hmm. people. Yeah. It, it can be somewhat stereotypical though, too. Like I'm thinking about like in Coco when his grandma is yeah. like, how many tamales do you want? And he's like, none. And she's like, what? Or he said like one or something. <laughs> Would you like more tamales? He says, no, gracias. She says, I asked, would you like more tamales? <laughs> Yes, that's it. <laughs> like, yes. And then she gives him like 10. That's what I thought she said. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's true though. Um, so I recently read the book Interpreter of Maladies, which is a short story collection uh, by Jhumpa Lahiri. Um, and there's a scene in one of the stories where this woman like 
is kind of like nannying this boy. He goes over to her house every day until his mom gets home from work. Um, he says that she sits on her her living room floor and like lays out newspapers and uses this big curved blade to like chop vegetables. And she will chop vegetables just like forever. And he says she does it every day. And there's a part where part you know she talks about um how like back in india anytime there's a wedding or a funeral or like anything in between anything at all to celebrate everybody all the women just come together and they will sit on the roof and chop vegetables all night long like in preparation for whatever meal it is they make the next day that sounds kind of fun okay and she she says in the scene she's like and they sit and they gossip and they talk and she's like and it's impossible to fall asleep on those nights and I love the way she says that and the way she Mm -hmm. describes it because it's very clear that even though she says like it's impossible to fall asleep on those nights and it's like really annoying because they're up there being really loud that it's something that she really really misses and that yeah. it's it was something that meant a lot to her and that she probably took for granted while she was there and now that she's far away and doesn't have that community anymore it's something that she really wishes she had back and yeah. And I just think about that. And it does. It sounds really fun. Like you're all working together and you're just like gossiping and chit chatting and laughing. And then like, and then the next day you have all this, you know, delicious food to make and eat, you know, while you celebrate together or mourn together or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. Food is very much about community. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we talked about that in Princess and the Frog too. Yeah, it's, we did. It's going to be a theme that crops up a lot, I'm sure. Yeah. So when the characters in these movies are cooking, um, like we talked about how it's a very slow and deliberate process, even with like the quick foods, there's this very purposeful aspect to every part of it. So it's also animated to look like better than reality. Um, I read Mm -hmm. that the animators purposefully will make the food look like luscious and add drips. You mean like the honey in this movie? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. And it's like to make it look as perfect as possible. But the thing is, if we're talking about things in Miyazaki movies being like just on the edge of reality, this food like fits the bill. So in the scene, Ponyo has just escaped from Fujimoto, her father, after he brought her back from the surface. He uses, she uses a huge amount of magic to turn herself into a five-year-old girl so that she can be with Sosuke. And the magic that she releases into the ocean has started to affect the natural world. Stars are falling from the sky, the moon has come very close to the earth, and it's causing wild tsunamis. Uh, Sosuke and his mom Lisa take Ponyo home while the tsunami is raging outside. Can I just say that nobody in this movie freaked out as much as they should have about no. all the stuff that was going on? Like, you mean like when everything was like, underwater? Whatevs. I know. <laughs> like, okay. I know. They're like, oh, yeah, your mom went to the old folks' home, which is underwater. <laughs> right? Exactly. Or why are these, why is this pair of five year olds like running around in a boat by themselves in this yeah. underwater world? Like, nobody cared or freaked out about anything. Well, and that family that had the baby, they're just out on the boat like they're having a nice day punting on the Thames. They're just I, yeah, like, it's just like a little, around. I don't know, Regency era picnic, picnic on a boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really was because very, uh, gone. you don't have any of your baby things. Like, yeah. <laughs> nobody freaking out. Yeah, it definitely was uh, 
yeah, not realistic. <laughs> um, there's no power. Everyone is wet and the town is flooding. But Sosuke and his mom live high on a hill, so they're not affected by the water. They're all hungry, and so Lisa makes them hot milk with honey and ramen. So Lisa sets down this tea set. And she pours them both a cup of steaming milk, and then she dips a spoon into this huge jar of honey, and it's golden and sticky and dripping. <laughs> and then she mixes the honeyed spoon into this mug of hot milk, and Ponyo's face when she sees the honey is like exactly how I feel watching it. <laughs> because she's like fascinated by it and clearly like by the way she, you know the look she has when she drinks it it's delicious mm -hmm. but seriously the honey the way it looks is just like we're gonna keep talking about the honey forever because Probably. it's the perfection in this scene <laughs> It's yeah, it really is. Glistening and golden and gorgeous. That was very alliterative, <laughs> unintentionally. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, okay, so then she makes them each ramen. So they get like a dried ramen package and they dump them out in their bowls. And then Lisa pours boiling water over each one and then covers them with lids and they steam for a few minutes. So then Lisa leaves and comes back and tells them each to close their eyes. And when they open them, she lifts the lid and the ramen is transformed with ham slices and soft boiled egg and green onion slices. But it looks like gorgeous and delicious. Um mm -hmm. And I just like just imagine like being waterlogged in a cozy room, wrapped in a blanket. There's inclement weather raging outside. You're seeing mm. by lamplight, and you're eating this delicious, warming, comforting food. And then you immediately fall asleep in a big pile of blankets and pillows because you're exhausted and full. Like sounds like very huga. It sounds incredible. It sounds so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds ugh, like. I don't know how to describe it other than it just sounds well it's just that comforting aspect it's like you were scared because your mom drives like an absolute maniac she holy crap with <laughs> this woman Ugh. yes she's terrifying um and there's the tsunami you know raging outside and it go and you're scared about your dad because he's out on a boat and you know all this stuff and then you come home and there's the warm food that's like there to help you to calm down enough to where you can sleep you know yeah. like it's just it's just real good i should have done that last night actually i should have made the warm honey milk or something for my boys because we had tornado warnings last night and it's our first one in texas i mean not my first one because i grew up here so for me it was like no big deal but for my boys um i had to get them out of bed and uh, they were nervous. They were scared. And I should have made them uh, yeah. milk. We're going to do a brief history of ramen because I'm sure we are going to talk about ramen again in a later episode. Yes. And so there will be another time where we make like real ramen. Um, but we're not doing that today. <laughs> uh, so a very brief history of ramen. Um, ramen is not a traditionally Japanese food um remember it's never traditionally anything i don't know where these foods come from well <laughs> remember when we talked about how italian pasta was actually brought over from marco by marco polo from china uh -huh. 
well, yeah. China strikes again. <laughs> oh, so everything is just from China then, yeah. I guess. So ramen was developed from wheat noodles in Yokohama's Chinatown district uh, by Chinese immigrants. And ramen comes from the Chinese lamian. Um, and the first ramen shop opened in Tokyo in 1910 and employed Cantonese cooks. Uh, ramen mm-hmm. has obviously become very popular in Japan and even outside of Japan. But most Americans think of ramen as like top ramen or Moroccan ramen. Which like is what we're eating today. Yes, so which is what we introduction. are eating. But yeah, so like we're talking about like dried ramen packets you buy for like 50 cents, you know, and it's got just like the little MSG flavor packet um, and that's it. But like a real ramen is actually very different from that. It uses fresh noodles, you know, they add like toppings and sauces and vegetables and meat and seasonings and all kinds of other things to make it, you know, much more of an experience than just like cheapo Walmart ramen. Mm-hmm. Um but we are, yeah, using the dried ramen packets today just because that's what they use in the movie. And I'm trying to keep mm-hmm. it as consistent as possible to what they actually made in the movie. Okay. So now it is time to try, quote unquote, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the ramen and the hot honey milk. Okay. So you already ate yours. I haven't yes. tried my ramen yet, but since we've both tried the milk, let's talk about that. What did you think? So I usually don't like warm milk, like especially by itself, it's kind of gross. But at the same time, I only like like hot chocolate with milk when it's with water, it's nasty. Um, So I was a little bit skeptical about this, but it was actually way better than I thought it was going to be. I felt like, yeah, I thought it was, it had that like comforting flair, I guess. Yeah, it it didn't taste quite how I was expecting it to, I don't think. Like, I think I was thinking it was going to be sweeter than it was. Oh, yeah. Mine was pretty um, sweet. I didn't actually follow the recipe. I just did it. I, oh, well, I didn't know we had a recipe. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's, I think I linked one, but that's okay. That oh, works out. Okay. Um, I just like filled a spoon full of honey that's until exactly it looked about like she did in the movie. <laughs> well, uh, I, I didn't fill my mug all the way up. So that may yeah. have, oh, well then, I don't know. But my, I felt like mine was pretty sweet. And it had a distinctly honeyish flavor, but it was kind of set off by the creaminess of the milk. Yeah, it so, was muted a little bit. Yeah, so I thought it was pretty good. Well, I thought it worked out like not being super sweet to me I mean maybe maybe I'm just used to like more sweet things than you are which would make sense but um I don't know for because to me it feels like a bedtime drink yeah and so I wouldn't want it to be like overly sugared yeah I agree I was really wishing that I had thought to do that for my boys last night during the tornado (laughs) yeah it would have been perfect I think they would have enjoyed that so keep it in my back pocket yeah, I'll have to remember that for next time. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, I kept thinking, though, it smelled like bread. Oh, well, the bread that I make, it has honey in it. So minus the yeasty smell, it kind of does actually smell like bread. Yeah, and well, usually like if I'm going to make something like sandwich bread, it will typically have like milk and honey in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, and I kept thinking it would be really good if you had like a piece of like oven fresh bread to like dip in it. That sounds weird. Mm. 
but like no that sounds really good to me I was thinking honestly I was thinking either about dusting some nutmeg on it or like putting a couple raspberries on top (laughs) nutmeg would have been good I considered cinnamon but I didn't do it cinnamon I think would be good but nutmeg I think would be that would kind of fit that bill of like kind of the subtle flavor so it's like still mostly milk that you're tasting but you're having like a little bit because nutmeg's not like an overly powerful flavor if you just do like a dusting yeah no I think that would have been good I didn't because I wanted to keep it like pure for our purposes but maybe next time I will cinnamon doesn't sound like it would be bad maybe even just a sprinkle of cinnamon and nutmeg just a teeny little bit man I'm gonna have to try the nutmeg that sounds so good I love nutmeg. (laughs) (laughs) that sounds so good okay or maybe maybe it would be good if you did like cardamom in the summer because cardamom and then like nutmeg in the fall oh man that was that was like a burst of inspiration right there oh I love cardamom that's a good idea and I never get to use it I actually put cardamom, a very small amount of cardamom in my fall stuff too. And I think it gives it, it yeah, I think it sets it apart a little bit. If you use too much though, it can really overpower it. But I think that would be a good idea just to do a little sprinkling for like summer or something. Okay. So I haven't tried my ramen yet, but I have it here. I sent you a picture of my uh, medium boiled eggs because they were gorgeous. Yes, they were really nice. (laughs) I had never made Oh yeah. I mean, well, mine are pretty, so mine, like I said, mine are medium boiled. So mine are pretty soft. They're not runny though. Yeah. Mine, mine was like half and half. It was like half of this one side was runny and one side was looked mm-hmm. a little more like yours. Yeah. I think so. Honestly, I think a lot of people who don't like hard boiled eggs, which I can't blame because I am kind of one of them don't like them because people always overcook them and the yolks turn gray and then they like nasty. taste sulfurous. And chalky, like it's yeah. got a like a chalky uh, dries out your mouth. It's gross, yeah. It's disgusting. That's not a hard boiled egg. <laughs> yeah, just do it for less time. I think I don't know how that happens, but like if you buy them pre cooked, like in the little plastic packets or whatever, they're always going to be way overcooked. Yeah, I mean, and I would even suggest not doing hard boiled. Like I would suggest doing. Like soft, soft boiled or a medium boiled, yeah. yeah. Um. Well, and I think people just don't know how to make them, right? Because I think the name implies that you are boiling it, you know, for like a long time. When I feel like most of the time, the good recipes I follow are like, put it in, put the egg in the water, bring it to a boil, turn it off, and leave it. <laughs> but except that one time I was making dinner at dad's house and you were there and you were like, why is your, why is your water still boiling? You should turn it off and just let them sit. And I did. And then they came out raw. (laughs) You were like, oh, sorry, that usually works for me. (laughs) That's funny. I don't remember that. Yeah. I, I usually do keep them at a boil, but I, I do it for like seven or eight minutes. So it, Mm -hmm. instead of like 12 to 15 minutes, which I think is what a lot of people usually suggest in recipes, or what they usually do but if you do it for way less time because they'll keep cooking when you take them out Mm -hmm. um because they're so hot so you gotta like put them in i i mean really to get them to stop you should put them in like ice water 
to cool off immediately, but that's not what I do. I usually just dump out the hot water and run it under cold water and then dump it out again and run it under cold water again and then let it sit in the cold water. Um, and that does it okay. But, but yeah, don't cook them for as long. Yeah. And what I did is I, so I, yeah, put it in the cold water, brought it to a boil. And then once it started to boil, turned it off and let it sit for six minutes. And then I went, and then I put them in cold water. What? You put them in first and then brought the water up to a boil. Okay. Um, Yeah. I usually pop them in when the water is boiling. Oh, and cool trick I learned. Once your water boils, put in a good dump of baking soda. Like I never measure it out or anything. I just kind of pour a bunch in and the water goes and then your eggs are so much easier to peel. And I had tried all kinds of methods to like try to make them easier to peel. And this one is consistently really good. I need to try that because mine were really hard to peel. Yeah, mine, mine slid right off. I mean, every once in a while you get a little batch, mm-hmm. but I think the secret is don't be stingy with the baking soda and do it once the water boils. And if you do that, then I usually can just like, yeah. they'll just fall out of their shells. Yeah. Um, so I gotta say, so the ramen, I mean, is just your average, right? Like we're top ramen, Moroccan ramen. What kind did you get? We always use Moroccan ramen. Okay, I good. <laughs> I honestly don't think I've ever seen top ramen for sale. Really? That's all I can find right now. Really? Yeah. I'm annoyed. I can find like cup noodles for the Moroccan kind, but I can't, but I don't like those. Um, and that's not what we're doing anyway. So I ordered it off Amazon. That's funny. <laughs> I got like a 24 pack for like three bucks. What flavor did awesome. you use? Just chicken because that's what my kids will eat. Yeah. So I considered getting like pork flavor because it's got mm-hmm. ham in it. But what we have always done is get like chicken and beef and then combine them. Yeah. And it's usually pretty good. Um, I'm not a huge fan of ham. Yeah, I don't love it either. Yeah. And so, I mean, the ham. Yeah, Ponyo loves it. Um, So, I mean, the ham isn't doing anything for me in this. But, I mean, if you are a fan of ham, then go for it. Um, The egg, though, I feel like make gives it, likes it, like, creamy. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, I know that this is just typical Moroccan ramen, but... I really like Moroccan ramen. I, it's like, I never buy it because it's, it's really not good for you. (laughs) And because I will eat it and I will eat it fast. And so will my kids. Um, In fact, I have a friend whose husband really likes it and he limits himself to an after church treat every Sunday. Mm -hmm. Like he'll make a pot for him and his kids and they'll have a little bowl after church every Sunday. And then he's not allowed to eat it any other time because otherwise they just eat it too much. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's, I don't know. It kind of brings back memories, I guess, because I remember being at grandma Pitt's house and she would have, she had ramen, which now I feel like is maybe not in line with what I would normally have thought that she would have for us to eat. But I also remember like having cereal with real sugar 
at yeah. the table and I loved that because the sugar would like pool at the bottom and you had like this milky sugar at the bottom of your bowl which was awesome um but I I do I remember eating ramen at grandma Pitt's house I don't remember us having it a lot when I was younger at home and so it kind of brings back memories of like being with cousins or just being at grandma's house and you know so it's just kind of nice Really? Because, well, so I obviously, I don't have a lot of memories of Grandma Pitt just because, I mean, you lived in California longer than I did. And I think mm -hmm. you remembered more like visiting. Mm -hmm. um, I remember having ramen at home and we always had the creamy chicken flavor. I love the creamy chicken the creamy flavor. Chicken. That's, That's good. That's a good one. <laughs> That's what Although, I wanted to get for today, but half my kids don't like it. So, no. well, the only specific memory I have of, of eating ramen at home is a night where I went to cheerleading practice and then I came home and mom made me ramen in the microwave, like, so it would go faster. And I took it out of the microwave and I spilled it on my hand and I got oh, like man. a, like a second degree burn on my hand. And then that night, I got food poisoning. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> That's terrible. So it was like overall not a good night. <laughs> <laughs> that stinks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, overall, I think it's pretty tasty. Um, it, it's just a really good quick way to have like a comforting meal, which is obviously what she was thinking. Whether or not they were freaking out during this time, obviously she was like, well, I probably better do something quick because I need to deal with this. You know? Yeah. Uh, um, a quick fix for needing some comfort food. Yeah. Well, that's it for our first episode of season two. Yay. Um, yay. We're definitely going to have more coming, so stick around. Thanks for joining us for Ponyo. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, join us on our socials for pictures of the food and memes and stuff. And join us next week as we delve into the mm -hmm. Grishaverse as we eat quail roasted in honey and sweet pea porridge from Shadow and Bone. Yay. So go read the book or at least watch the Netflix show. Where am I going to get uh, quail? <laughs> Ooh, I totally am getting it from my farmer's market. There's a quail stand. I'm going on Saturday and getting uh, it. Yeah, I'm going to have to look somewhere like that. I know. I'm sure I can get it. I just got to look for it. Yep. It's going to be awesome. I'm very excited, though. I No, you're very agitated. I'm very <laughs> agitated. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Until next week, happy watching and bon appetit.